Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest on to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. So, I wanted to take a moment and thank you all for listening and supporting the show. With the limited operation we've got here, it's all thanks to you that we were able to keep growing with more amazing guests and bonus episodes. I will ask you, though, if you are enjoying Music Rewind, please check out the links in our show notes. They will take you to either our Patreon, where you can donate and support the show and get special content on the side, or to our amazing sponsors, Zounds for all your audio production needs, and also Drizzly, which will deliver your favorite beer, wine, or spirit straight to your door. This all helps us keep the show going. Thanks again, and now on with the show. Joining me today is musician and fellow podcaster Ryan Pack. Ryan is the host of Soundtrack Your Life podcast, a show that talks about great movie soundtracks and how they are important to us all. Ryan's show was recently featured in the Podchaser Top 50 Shows to Discover in May 2022. Welcome, Ryan, and thank you for being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're joining us. Uh, big fan of your show. I've listened to, to pretty much every episode. Really enjoy it. Wow, thank you so much. So, Ryan, let's uh, jump into this. What album would you like to bring to the table, and what makes it special to you? Um, so, I wanted to talk about Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I would say over the past 20 years, I have not seen a band live as often as I've seen Wilco. So definitely, they're definitely one of my favorites. And I think among Wilco fans, they would agree this is their most important album. Yeah, this was a, a first time listen for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I had heard various songs from Wilco over the years, uh, caught them at Bonnaroo once, uh, but never really dove into what they had. Was that well, Bonnaroo 2013 by any chance? Uh, no, no, it was before that. Um, okay. I was there at 2013 and they played. I can't remember which one. I went five years in a row and caught a lot of these bands on the upswing. Sure. Yeah, like, uh, 2011 was my last one, I think. Oh, okay. I only went once and it was 2013. That's uh, a good time. Uh, but then kids came along and that, uh, yeah, the, that changes the festival <laughs> availability. Yes, yes. I'm currently in that boat. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. But I think this is a great album. And, um, you know, I listen to your show pretty often. So I feel like it slots in really nicely along like the Soft Bulletin and Diary and even like Throwing Copper to a certain extent. These are, I feel like, really big, important, like alt rock albums of, you know, the last 20 to 30 years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this, this, this was an amazing album. Uh, not what I expected at all, because when I think of Wilco, I think of more their, I think their earlier stuff with the not country, but similar to country roots. Right. And this was not, this was not that. Yeah, this is kind of their first, like, we're not going to even have anything that sounds like country on this album. Yeah. I mean, there were times it reminded me of kind of a pre, and this is a, a great, um, great compliment, a pre dark side of the moon, Pink Floyd at times. Oh, I can see that. Where they were really starting to experiment with sounds. Yeah. I mean, they've always been like a big production band. You know, they've always invested. I mean, they they own their own studio. But yeah, I would say this is the first time where they're really like playing with noise. Mm -hmm. so how did you discover this album so back in high school i had a friend who i guess got me into wilco so around the time of being there which is their second album so he bought that album um i think i bought the next one summer teeth and then there was the co uh, collaboration album with billy bragg mermaid avenue and so I was a pretty big fan of Wilco at this point. And then when this album came out, um, I was in college and I had a, a roommate who, you know, had heard of Wilco, 
they were they were at the time kind of everyone every band's favorite band <laughs> yeah and so when this came out because um they collaborated with jim o'rourke on it and my friend was a big sonic youth fan it kind of piqued his interest to like really dive into this album and it kind of became like one of the favorite things to like spin in the apartment what makes this album really jump to the top of your list um, it's the 20th anniversary of this album, so they've been promoting that. Okay. And for me, it was like, okay, like what album, if I were to talk about one album on a podcast, this would be it makes sense. And this would be it. Like it's, you know, one of my favorites, they're definitely one of my favorite bands and the mythology of this album is really fun to talk about. Like there's a really fun story about how this became kind of this underdog success story. So are you referring to how they kind of bought it from the studio? Yeah, so th they bought it from their label and then they got signed to a different part of that same label. So I think they said that we basically got paid for the same album twice. <laughs> well, I think the way I was reading it was that the, uh, the label at first was saying, we want you know the radio hits. And that's not the direction they wanted to go. They being um, Jeff Tweedy, you know, the the leading force there. And so my understanding is they they bought it for like fifty grand, and then they were able to go off and do their own thing. Yeah, well, at least my understanding was the label didn't want to release it because there was no radio single, so they got dropped. Uh, okay. And then they reshopped it to whoever, and then. I believe this is Warner Brothers. Um, a different wing of Warner Brothers ended up picking them up. So Warner Brothers basically paid them twice for the same set of recordings. Well, and then there's also the the elephant that's around this album, which is September 11th, because this album was released on streaming, streaming only September 18th, 2001. And then it was released in stores April 23rd, but... I mean, to be released in anything in September of 2001 is going to get a bit overshadowed. Yeah, and they have a song called Ashes, um, Ashes of American Flags. And that song has a lyric about tall buildings. No, no, it's not that song. So they have that for one. <laughs> yeah. And then they have Jesus, etc., which has in the chorus, tall buildings shake as one of the lines. Yeah, that's as creepy and odd as you can get because because it was all recorded before september 11th right but it had those lyrics yeah. but according to interviews this album helps many people get through that particular event yeah i think that helped me i think that helped my uh myself and my friends for sure like there's definitely like a sadness to the album indeed and uh but it was also just so good. I'm I'm a person that likes sad music. So, <laughs> you know, it was right up my alley. Um, I believe that we were able to get our hands on it because the band leaked the album on the internet themselves. Oh, that would must be the, the streaming only release. Yeah, because like streaming I... wasn't really a thing in 2001. Well, LimeWire was. Wow. <laughs> going, going strong in, right. in 2001. <laughs> so I think when they got dropped the first time, they just leaked it. And then April of 2002, which is like the official release date, which is what they're celebrating on tour right now. Makes sense. That's when the physical copy came out. And that was on the other wing of Warner Brothers Records. Gotcha. Well, you're right. This whole album is, is uh, melancholy and in retrospective at times, there's a few jaunty tunes in there, uh, but largely it deals with say loss, pain, love all wrapped into one. Yeah, that's pretty fair. How do you listen to this album? Do you, do you jump around or do you go from front to back? Um, typically I go front to back with the album. Occasionally I'll skip around but like that first song, I'm trying to break your heart is just like such a powerhouse. It's like, why am I skipping this song? Like, obviously, I, if I'm going to listen to this album, I'm going to start there. 
Yeah, that was a, a great one to listen to and start off with, with, I try to listen to it when I can with the, the earmuff headphones so that I'm, I'm canceled out as much as possible. And there's, there's a lot going on in that song. We say, like we talked earlier with just the, the sounds and the noises. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very disorienting if you've never heard the album before. It's like, whoa, there's drums in weird places that I didn't expect them to be. And there's like clanking bottles. <laughs> Rhythmic noise is one of my notes. Yeah, and so there's a documentary that came out after this album called, I think it is called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. And it's this documentary filmmaker came to record the album or record them recording the album. And it obviously turned into much more than that. And the documentary starts with like a demo version of the song. And it's really just Jeff Tweedy and an acoustic guitar just singing it kind of straight through. So they really kind of deconstructed the song and made it a whole nother thing. That's really cool. I have to check that out. Yeah, it's great. Like it was great timing. I think he said in an interview, like the first day he showed up, they had just fired their drummer. Really? Yeah. And so this album kind of represents like this new era of Wilco. Um, Cause the drummer Ken got fired and then Jay Bennett, I think, left after the album was finished. That I did read, yeah. And then I think after the next album, Ghost is Born, I think another, I think Leroy left. So there was a lot of turnover in the band around this time. And then they became this kind of live touring powerhouse after this, when they brought in like Pat and Mikhail and course Nels Klein. Usually when you've got that kind of turmoil going on in the band, people leaving, people getting fired, the album will reflect that. But this is kind of different. They they turned out a you know kind of a seminal album here for their career. Yeah, I think when there's a lot of turmoil it either like breaks up the band or they put out like their best work. <laughs> yeah. So uh well walk me through the album if you want to go uh we can go track by track and you can tell me your your thoughts on each. So I, you know, we already talked about a little bit about I'm trying to break your heart. It's one of the longer songs on the album, which I'm not used to. I'm used to album um, openers kind of like being short and sweet and kind of getting you like pumped up for the album. While uh, this one, it's a really long and kind of disorienting song. Like it kind of ends in just like a collage of noise. Yeah. The piano and clinks and static and feedback and any, there's all kinds of I don't say junk is a bad word but um, but there's just a lot a lot going on in that that second part of the song yeah and it's a great way to start the album it kind of tells you what to kind of expect as you go throughout the album but then like the second song camera is like the most direct and most old Wilco sounding song in my opinion I, I could see that. It's very straightforward. It's camera with a K. Yeah. Interesting. They ended up Joyce, releasing camera with a C later, which is a much noisier version of that song. I, I mean, I like this. I mean, I, I have my notes saying it's a, it's a good rock song. It, it, like you said, it's, it's straight to the point. There's not a lot of the extras. So I'm, I'm curious what a version of this song with the extras would sound like. A lot of distortion. <laughs> I don't, th I think they picked the right version of the song. Yeah. Uh, interesting lyrics as far as, uh, the way I took it was, a uh, a guy is trying to, to see the truth in life and he sees it only through a camera. Right. Yeah. And then we have, I think, I think this is where the album starts to get really interesting. Radio Cure on. Yeah. Yeah. Radio Cure is an interesting one. Very, very haunting sounding. Yeah, and it's probably the song that took me the longest to like enjoy. 
That's I think that's fair. Oh, distance has no way making love understandable. I, I mean, th- this album took several listens as a whole to me to really grip grip onto. Yeah. This one could be difficult to listen to if, if you're not really into the album. Right. Wilco is kind of, for people who don't like Wilco, they kind of call them like boring dad rock. And I feel like this kind of fits <laughs> into that category. Well, as a, as a former uh, signal soldier for the army, there, there's certain parts of this album that, that hit home with the radio aspects of it. Right. So I, I can appreciate what they what they put in there for those. Yeah, and because I have no background in that sort of radio stuff, for the longest time, I used to call this album Yankee Foxtrot Hotel because <laughs> it just came off the tongue a lot easier. <laughs> now the uh, for for those that don't know, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the phonetic spelling uh, of when you when you use the alphabet over the air. You don't say A, B, C, D. You would say Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, et cetera. And so YHF is Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot, when you're speaking on the radio. Right. But I was just like, Does, doesn't Yankee Foxtrot Hotel just sound better? <laughs> I, when I first typed it a first couple times, I was typing Whiskey Hotel Foxtrot. Just from memory, something from my particular past, uh, That's that was a, a call sign of one of our sites for, for years those three letters. So I, and I had to go back and correct all my notes, put Yankee in there. Uh, yeah. I think, I think a brewery called a beer like Wisco Tango, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. So it'd be WTF. Yeah. You hear that one a lot, <laughs> but that's a, a very common one in the army. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like war on war is one of the popular songs on this album, which doesn't really lean into pop. It's this is one of those that I referenced earlier with saying it's a jaunty tune. It's it's it's, it's more upbeat, but then it, it it reversely has very dark lyrics. Yeah, that's a big thing with Jeff Tweedy. He likes to do that. I like songs that do that. I, that's one of my really the things that I, I like on a lot of albums. Um, the who we did, I talked about a couple weeks ago with Quadrophenia has that on several where the, the song doesn't necessarily match the lyrics. And that's a plus for me. Yeah. I like when they juxtapose kind of the tone of the song and the tone of the lyrics. Yeah. This one being obviously about the futility of war. Right. Uh, or any conflict, but I mean, obviously, war in the title war on war yeah (laughs) yeah it's one of the more upbeat songs i like the kind of like you can't tell if it's a synthesizer or if it's like a guitar through a lot of effects on the on the um i guess it's the chorus there's like the chorus and then there's like just the like guitar freak out part which i'm not sure if that counts as the chorus I like that, that feedback guitar, you know, we, we, it's like, I'm not going to try and imitate guitar, but the, you get what I'm saying. I, I like that transition between the, uh, the verses. Yeah. I think it's what makes the song kind of pop. Like if they didn't have that part, it would just kind of, it, it wouldn't be interesting enough. Like it needs that kind of dynamic shift. I think I can agree with that. Like, I think it's the one thing that like camera lacks. Yeah, I could. Uh, well, camera's got a, a little bit of it, if I'm remembering right. But camera is more of a, like we said earlier, a straightforward rock song. It doesn't have a lot of the experimentation on it. Yeah, like it, for me, it just lacks like a little bit of a dynamic sort of thing. Though I think they kind of amp it up a little bit more when they play it live. But like I said, there's no skips on this album. How many times have you seen them live? I think 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen him a lot. And I've seen Jeff Tweedy solo as well, and I'm not counting that in the 10. When he goes solo, is it more of an acoustic set, or is he 
go full rock band. Yeah. It, when I saw him, it was literally just him and a guitar. That'd be cool to see, though. That would be neat. So now we're on uh, Jesus, etc. Yeah, Jesus, etc. The eternal quest for what does it all mean? And it's kind of the big hit from this album. Not like a radio hit, but it's definitely one of the songs that they play live every time. Uh, I like this song musically. I mean, the, the the lyrics get, obviously we talked about the prophetic stuff with 9-11, the tall building shakes and stuff. Uh, voices escape singing sad, sad songs and all that. Uh, but I, what I like about the song is there's a fiddle in there. Yep. And that's, uh, I, I enjoyed that particular portion of the song. Yeah, it's a very pretty song. And when they play it live now, I believe there's a lot more organ in it. So it almost gets kind of okay, not jazzy, but it gives it a little bit of a darker tone. I mean, they've been playing the song for 20 years, so they're always trying to figure out different ways to make it interesting to play without, you know, completely changing it. Wouldn't mind hearing a whole live set of just this song, the album in its entirety. I think that'd be. This is the one album where. If they didn't play anything off of it, like people would complain. <laughs> Every band's got one. You know, they're kind of like, I don't want to compare them necessarily to Pearl Jam, but, you know, there are some bands that only play the hits when you see them live. And then there's other bands where they'll play almost a completely different set every night. And Wilco falls into that category which is why I've been able to justify going to see them so many times because it's like, well, they're going to dig deep. Um, they're going to play something I've never heard. It's not going to just be like the same songs, just in a different order. How many uh, studio albums they have? This Because this was their fourth, I believe. Yeah, this was their fourth. I think they're up to like 10 or 11 now. I don't remember. They just released a new album like two weeks ago. That's great. I mean, when you've got that deep of a catalog, you can have a, a very fluid set list each night. That's cool. Yeah, so I've, I really enjoy that. But they will always play this song. They will always play a handful of tracks from this album. I always get the biggest reaction. Uh, then that leads into Ashes of American Flags, which is a slower acoustic tune. Yeah, it's a, it's a slow song. It's pretty sparse on the album. But like I alluded to earlier with their new live band, so this song is really popular live because they just give Nels Klein like four minutes to solo at the end of the song and people eat that up. I'm personally not the biggest fan of the lyrics of this particular track. That's that's just me. Uh, the I would like to salute the ashes of the American flags. That's it gets a little bit too uh, too far for me. Sure. But musically, I did like it. Uh, I like the uh, how they can go jaunty and then slow down for the acoustics. And uh, all my lies or wishes is a great line. Uh, that's a deep thought right there. How will it ever come? All my lies are always wishes. I know I will die if I can. I think this is a really good showcase of Jeff Tweedy as a lyricist. I know that you're not a fan of the Ashes of American Flags line, but um, a lot of the imagery I think in the song is really is uh, some of some of his better work on this album. It goes well with the theme of this album. The I don't want to say depression because it's it's not that. It's more like a nihilistic view of things. Things who, if this was a theme as far as the whole album, things have not gone the narrator's way. And there's a lot of regret. And uh, right there, all my lies are wishes. So if he's, he's saying things that he wished were true uh, in a lot of these songs through the lyrics. 
Yeah, that's fair. So then next we've got Heavy Metal Drummer, which was a, this was a fun song. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun song that was kind of earmarked as the single. I mean, obviously they got dropped once because they didn't feel like there was a single on this album. But the second time around, this is kind of what was picked. And it is like the most immediate ear, ear catchy, ear, yeah, ear, earworm, earworm of a song. And I believe that like he'll change the lyrics to the verses when they play it live. Oh, really? Yeah, just kind of for fun. Shiny, shiny pants and bleached blonde hair. A double kick drum by the river in the summer. She fell in love with the drummer. Another than another, she fell in love. Like I said, they've been playing these songs like every show for 20 years. So they're always trying to find ways to make it fun. And uh, so I read about this one and I, I misinterpreted it. I, I thought they were just singing about the good old days, you know, playing kiss covers and stuff. Uh, but then found an interview with, with Tweety and he said, and I'm quoting him here. I would sit there and scoff and feel superior to all the heavy metal bar bands with the big hair and the spandex. So who was losing me? I was, those guys were getting laid. They were deluding themselves into thinking they were going to be huge stars and they were living but I was dead and I was staring into my drink. That sounds about right for Jeff Tweedy around this time. He's much happier now. Oh, that's good. Still writes dark songs, but he's happier now. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you go through a dark, uh, dark album, you, know, you got, I always hope that who's ever was writing those lyrics and in that dark place found happiness at some point. Yeah, I think he did. But yeah, I think when he switches the lyrics, he, Basically, he's poking fun at his own drummer. Oh, really? <laughs> he's got a verse about playing at the Battle of the Bands. Uh, but then that goes into track eight, which is I'm the Man Who Loves You. And and this is probably my favorite track on the album. I really like this one. Yeah, it's, you know, kind of like Heavy Metal Drummer. It's, you know, an earworm. You know, it doesn't, you don't need repeated listens to enjoy this one. Now, this one was, uh, uh, say, a good guitar track, and then it turns into a nice chaotic jam uh, towards the end. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a song that kind of falls apart on purpose. That's a great way to put it. It really is. would have been fun to be a fly on the wall during the recording of seeing how it got put together. Yeah. Cause you could argue like if you were in the studio as like a producer, like, do we really need that riff at the beginning? Can't we just like start where it's like, Oh, that's the best. That's one of the best parts of the no, song. No, I'm not saying riff. I yeah. think it's bad, but I could see like someone in the yeah. studio being like, do we really need that? Like, why are we starting there? <laughs> No, this is uh, this is probably one I'll I'll take away and put in my you know regular playlist. I like that one a lot. Oh, and they kill it live, as you can only imagine. I bet this one would be really cool live. Yeah, I'll have to search and see if there's a a YouTube video of that. Yeah, because I mean they have three guitarists now. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean Pat is a multi instrumentalist, but he plays guitar and he plays guitar very well. So then we get to track nine, which is Pot Kettle Black. Yeah. Um, so this song, like, I have, I, I'm kind of up and down with it. Like, I think when I first started listening to this album, this was one of my favorites. And then it kind of became one of the more boring songs. And then after not like seeing it live, 
I started craving it live. And then I got really excited when they would play it live. So it's, you know, I feel like it's kind of like camera where it's a little bit on the more straightforward side. I could see that. It's it's the start of the the end of the album, you know, the final three tracks, which which are all dark in their own way. They're all dark, and this is the most normal of the three. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're very right. So I think it's kind of like the placement in the album that makes it not interesting. You have these two really upbeat, fun songs with Heavy Metal Drummer and I'm the Man Who Loves You. And then you have these experimental, dark songs and poor places and reservations and then you have pot kettle black which is like oh, it's nice <laughs> it's nice yeah, yeah it's it's in a it's when you put it that way it's in a tough spot in, in the set list um where a, a normal album and I, i'll say that with my own air quotes there uh, a normal album would have kind of a, a, a palate cleanser there yeah so i guess it's the palate cleanser it's the valley between two very high peaks, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Not skippable. It's still a good tune. Uh, but yeah, it's placement between previous two and the final two. Uh, you can't put this track with either one of those groups whatsoever. No. So then into Poor Places. Yeah, and this is a song that is probably one of my favorites off the album. It starts off so sparse and then it gets, you know, it's the whole dynamic thing I'm talking about. I was talking about earlier, like it -hmm. starts so low and then it starts to build up and then it gets really high. And I really love everything they do with, they did with the structure of this song. This bag's been pulled and I really want to see you tonight. I love the piano rhythm throughout the whole song. That stays steady while everything you said is going in a, a bit of a, more valleys, the up and down. Yeah, and then there, there's like a interesting musical bridge at about three minutes with some interesting sounds, <laughs> you, you could yeah. say. But then it ends with the uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. The, the actual radio call from from a live radio. Yes, and I believe the line "I'm the man who loves you" comes near the end as well. Like ov- over all the noise. Okay, I mean this is real interesting. I mean I, I don't quite get what Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is supposed to mean, other than just the the radio to me would symbolize distance always distance so whoever he's trying to talk to in this entire album there's always a distance between him and his his love his whatever whoever he's trying to talk to and can't and i don't know maybe he just liked the way yankee hotel foxtrot sounded as three letters yeah, I want to say that at one point I knew exactly why it was called the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It's uh, the the only thing I can really find is that it was taken from uh, Israel's intelligence agency. Uh, there was a, a, a Conet project over there, and that's where they sampled that particular lady saying it over the radio. I think it was a lady. It was not. I'm sorry, but I thought it was. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I ever heard that. But yeah, and it, it, I mean, it trails for a couple minutes, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very very interesting but fascinating way to to end that song. Yeah, and it's almost a surprise that there's anything after that. Like on a lot of for a lot of bands, like that's how you end an album. That could easily have been the end, yes. Because uh, then Reservations, the final track, is a very somber close to this album. Yeah. Oh, 
it's it's atmospheric and lots going on at times, kind of like track one. So it does bookend the album well in that way. Yeah, I kind of almost see reservations as like the end credit song for this album. Yeah. Like Poor Places is the end of the movie and reservations is like fade to black. Here's the credits. Especially the, the second half of the song. I mean, I, I thought the song was over. <laughs> there's a quiet break in the middle. And then there's a very psychedelic style instrumental three minutes to close it out with, uh, I, I, I was fascinated. I, I listened to it like, like several times. I kept rewinding the track and listened to that like to over and over again, because there's a, I was say there's a piano chord and then it creaks. Mm-hmm. You know, that was fascinating to me how they did that. And I was just, I, I kept listening to it over and over again. It was a single piano chord. And then almost like the actual piano itself would creak when that chord ended. It was very weird. Yeah. And that's why I think my friend really enjoyed it. Cause it kind of had like these weird quirks that you would find with like more experimental rock bands, like Sonic Youth or like the Flaming Lips. Like they would do things like this. Yeah. Yeah, say so having listened now to the the soft bolts and many times, uh, I I see the connection there quite a bit. Yeah, so the person who mixed the album, his name is Jim O'Rourke, and he's known for producing a lot of indie bands and kind of bringing kind of an eclectic sort of um, flavor to their music. And uh, like one album that I really enjoy that he produced is called Come Pick Me Up by Superchunk. And they're kind of more of a straightforward rock band, almost a little bit like pop punk. And when he worked with them, Mm -hmm. he was like, hey, let's bring strings and horns and put them on like some of these tracks. And it works, but like it's not they're not a band where you would think of doing that. And so when he linked up with Wilco, I think he was like, let's push your sound in a different direction than you've pushed it on all these other albums. Like they're always trying something new. It's a, it's a running theme throughout many of the albums. The show has covered where that, uh, that producer is, is always, you know, the fifth Beatle in the room as far as what people expect of them. And then that producer either by pushing them, like you said, to try something different or by better understanding what, they're trying to get across uh than than your average studio producer would that that special guy in the booth uh there's always a bit of magic there and i i have a new appreciation for that particular role in all of these albums yeah and since he has ties to sonic youth and so does nels klein um i haven't read it anywhere but i feel like he had something to do with nels klein joining wilco and if you've talk to anyone who has seen Wilco as many times as I have, or half as many times as I have, they're always talking about like Nels Klein did this solo or during this song, Nels Klein did, did this with his guitar. And, you know, he kind of helped them after this album came out, he kind of helped make them kind of a live behemoth that, that they are now. That's cool. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they, they kind of straightened their lineup out and they, they're, they're on a, a hot streak. Well, have been for 20 years now. Yeah. So like if you, they, they released a, um, a live album, I think in 2005 called kicking television. And it has a lot of songs from this album. One's one, because it's the biggest album, but two, because, uh, they had only released one album after this when they did the live album. Um, okay. but you can hear like how epic these songs are with like a, I think they're a six person band now. Okay. Not that like you need anything else to appreciate these songs, but like, this is why like they have their own festival now. And this is why they, you know, are really high on the lineup on when they play Bonnaroo or outside lands or whatever festival, like. 
they became like a live institution. Yeah, uh, I think I think Pearl Jam is is a. I wouldn't put them on the level of Pearl Jam just because Pearl Jam is you know special to me from childhood, um, but it, it's a good comparison as far as the uh, the longevity they have the the following. That's the word I'm looking for. They have a a very dedicated following, right? And uh, I don't know if you heard our Pearl Jam episode, uh, but my friend Mike, he, he's seen Pearl Jam over 30 times. So that's the, and he compared Pearl Jam to the Grateful Dead. So there's like a, you know, each, each new generation has their own type of band of that nature. And Wilco's definitely in that realm. Right. And like with Pearl Jam, like they don't have to play Jeremy at every show. People don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilco doesn't have to play... I don't know, whatever their biggest radio single has been. I mean, they could probably skip Jesus, etc. but I've, I think every time I've seen them, they played it. They could probably skip it, and people probably wouldn't mind too much because they just have so many other songs. Do um, is, is Wilco the kind of band that has a lot of, a lot of B-sides out there that people kind of hunt for? I think they did with this album and the album after Ghost is Born. From the last few albums, I don't think people have been hunting the B-sides as much, but I think I think for like the first five or six albums, I think people are really into the B-sides. It seems to be a, a, a dying quest in this day and age of MP3s and streaming services. Yeah. That's a a relic of the CD era. Yeah, no, that that's, that's fair. So it could be just that. Um, and to kind of go back to your Pearl Jam, Grateful Dead comparison, I believe Wilco has brought out Bob Ware during like an encore to, oh, yeah? to jam on some <laughs> dead with him. So I definitely, you know, I definitely think it will, that <laughs> comparison works. That's awesome. So, this album made your top spot. What albums would be on your short list that could have made your top spot? Um, that is a good question. So two of the albums that would have made it that you've already done would be Diary by Sunny Day Real Estate and Soft Bulletin by The Flaming Lips. Um, as far as hip-hop albums go, I think B is definitely up there for me. Those are all great albums. I'm glad they were brought to the table. Um, I think if I did, if this album had already been picked or something, I probably either would have gone with a Fugazi album. They keep coming up on short lists. You're like the fourth person to mention Fugazi. Yeah, they're, they're so good. And they're just kind of fun to talk about because they are like the epitome of, you know, like we're not gonna we're just gonna start our own label and we're not gonna make any advertising advertisements, no videos, no songs for radio. Like we're just gonna do everything ourselves and hop in a van and you know, they're they're fun to talk about because they just have so many great like ideals. And we're actually doing a um an episode on a documentary that the band re- that Fugazi released in two thousand one called Instrument, where it kind of shows the first 10 years of Fugazi from 1988 to 1997. That's cool. And, you know, like so much of their lead singer, Ian McKay gets like distorted through the lens of like, he's kind of this idealistic sort of, you know, like he's, you know, they call him the leader of like, or the starter of straight edge, that whole movement. And you know, he's a guy with strong principles, and I think that kind of gets distorted to, like, he must be, like, just this miserable person to be around all the time. <laughs> but, like, I think it's just kind of one of those, like, he's he believes what he believes, but he's not going to, like, flip out on you because you believe something different. And I think that gets distorted a lot, even even through, like, the lens of fans. Like, I think people are just like, oh, you know, like... He, you know, he knew Dave Grohl when Dave Grohl was like a teenager, but he must like hate what the Foo Fighters have become. And mm. and then on the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways documentary, he shows up when they're in D.C. and just hangs out in the studio with them. Like, 
you know, Dave's his friend, so he's going to go see his friend when he's in town. Like, there's this weird perception that he's, you know, this gatekeeper, judgmental person. That's fascinating. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll have to watch that documentary before uh, your episode comes out. Yeah, it's it's not like the most fun watch. It it's not what you expect a rock documentary to be. If that's if that helps. There's a there's a new documentary out for the uh, Blind Melon lead singer Shannon Hoon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all I can say, I think, is is it's called. Have you watched that yet? Um, no, I just, I just heard of it when you mentioned it. Check out the trailer. Even the trailer is hard to watch because he, apparently he's kind of, he was like Val Kilmer where he was videotaping every day of his life. Oh no. And you know how he spiraled towards the end. But so at the beginning in the trailer really, you know, gives you goosebumps and I, I don't even know if I will watch it because the beginning is so happy and everybody, I mean, there's, they're, they're, they're skyrocket, you know, the no rain, all that. And then it, 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 it shows him spiraling all the way to the end. Oh. See, the instrument is kind of like the opposite of that. Cause there is like no drama in the entire documentary. Like this is just like a day in the life of Fugazi for 10 years. You know, there's like no real, uh, there's no real bad guy there. Even though, you know, they had a stance to not sign with the major label and all this stuff, like, it doesn't come up. Like, it's not like you have these suits. They're having meetings with suits and telling them to, like, get out of their office or whatever. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just, like, just following them around for 10 years. And there's a funny uh, conversation in the studio where the drummer is like, yeah, my sister's boyfriend thinks that like we just live in a cabin and just eat rice <laughs> like no electricity or something uh fugazi's definitely a band i need to to seek out and, and listen to their stuff and and learn more about with as much as they're mentioned on this particular show and the influence they've had on the listeners here uh, i need to seek them out more yeah, and they're a band that has evolved a lot from the beginning. You know, they came out, or Ian came out of Minor Threat, which everyone knows is like this legendary hardcore band. And so Fugazi kind of starts out with those sort of roots. And then, I mean, their last album, like, is, I wouldn't call it like a 180, but you can tell that they've grown a ton since the first record. That's good. I mean, any band that has longevity is going to evolve. And that's one of the more fascinating things to see from long-standing bands. Like you mentioned the Foo Fighters, you know, Color in the Shape doesn't sound anything like their last couple albums. They've evolved quite a bit. Right. Both musically, lyrically. Uh, Sonic Highways, you mentioned, is one of my favorites from the Foo Fighters. I love that album. Uh, I love how they put it together, and I love the documentary about it. That was a really good one. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, I mean, I wish, I'm sure every band was like, I wish we could record in eight different studios. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I like any artist that doesn't evolve in interesting ways. Yeah. Yeah. If it's stagnant, if it's just the same thing, album after album, it gets old. I mean, you got you to gotta change something. You know, it doesn't have to be drastic, but if, if you can't tell the difference between, you know, three straight albums, then you're going to lose some listeners. Right. Yeah. That's totally correct. Yeah. I mean, bands may stagnate at some point, but if there wasn't growth to get you to that point, you're probably jumping off that train. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the, you know, the greats, you know, your, your Beatles, Pink Floyd, the who, you know, because their beginnings and ends completely different from each other. Right. And to bring it back to Wilco, like their first six albums, none of them sound alike at all. The one before this, I think, is one. Um, you Are My Face is a, is a really good track that I like. Um, I can't remember the name of the album. I think it starts with an S. Oh, that's uh, Sky Blue Sky. Yeah, that's it. Uh, me and my dad brothers, we have this thing where we'll, we'll, make a, we'll make a CD, 10 tracks, no labels, and 
everybody gets to guess who's the who's the singer who's the band or who's who's the artist what's the song name and with from my father to me to my youngest brother you've got like a span of 40 years there so you get a lot of interesting tracks on there and my my older little brother tony uh he put he put that wilco track on there and i was a big fan of that track ever since he did that it was one of my my favorite ones he put on a uh, track or put on one of those albums but uh, uh that's that was really all i knew of wilco other than just catching him at bonnaroo briefly that's that's interesting because sky blue sky is the first wilco album with that new lineup that i was talking about okay and they recorded that album live like everyone really? in the same room live. Yeah. So you are my face. Oh, okay. I guess. You know, so you, everything is, um, you know, a single take. I need to check out that whole album too. I'm bad about that sometimes. I'll find a song I like, I'll listen to it, but I've never circled back to find the actual full album and listen to it. I remember a lot of fans kind of backlashing with that album. Oh, yeah. Because it's so straightforward. And, you know, if you're recording things live, that's how it's going to sound. Yeah. Um, but it's the first one with the new lineup. And, yeah, it, it's it's kind of why people call them dad rock. There's a couple songs on there, especially, where it's like, ah, oh, this is kind of dad rocky. I, I could, putting my uh, seven-year-old son's shoes on, I, I could see him listening to this as I am and staring at me like, this is your music, dad. Like this, I, I could totally... Totally see that point of view. But people have come back around to embrace that album. I, I the one track I, I know off of it, I liked it. So, yeah, it's a it's a good record, and it's got some def. I mean, if it's it's not my favorite, but it definitely has some really great songs. So, uh, tell us about your podcast. Uh, so, soundtrack your life is a podcast where we talk about soundtracks, mostly movie soundtracks, but. Um, we have done a Broadway soundtrack, and we are coming out with a couple people doing TV soundtracks. Oh, okay. And it's an interview podcast for the most part where we talk about um, why someone loves the soundtrack. You know, a lot of times it has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, I, I've, I can see that. some of the because I've listened to, say, pretty much most of them. Uh, Airheads, uh, Almost Famous, and No Brother Where Art Thou. And Josie and the Pussycats are standouts for me. Okay. Uh, those those were really great episodes, mainly because I love those movies and those soundtracks. I gravitated towards those first. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, those are the good old rock and roll movies, right? <laughs> well, or Brother We're Out, though. Not, well, not, not, not so quite well. a rock and roll <laughs> movie, but, you know, it's definitely a good music movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a fantastic soundtrack the the Appalachian music and just I, I love that soundtrack it's great uh but then like airheads uh there wasn't necessarily a soundtrack as that's a fun movie and it has all those little bits that if you're not i'm a music fan obviously i have a music podcast right. and i caught a lot of the little inside stuff in airheads but listening to you guys you and whoever your guest was for that particular one i i learned more about the music like the Easter eggs almost throughout that whole movie that I never would have caught, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun to kind of really dive deeper into these things. Like, you know, like with Josie and the Pussycats to find out all these like big name artists were writing songs for, yeah. for the band. Yeah. Uh, I knew, uh, found some way, uh, Adam Sussinger. Yes, Sussinger. I knew he was heavily involved, uh, but I didn't know the guy from Counting Crows was in there. Right. Uh, and uh, and several others. Uh, just didn't know that stuff. Oh, so we're coming out with an episode on School of Rock. Okay. And Jim O'Rourke, who we talked about in this episode, he was hired as a musical consultant to help like make sure that the oh, kids okay. like were playing things in like the right rhythm. And um, so we're doing that coming up um and we're doing i have an interview with a songwriter soundtrack composer who scored school of rock and wrote the song by jack black's old band that they play at the battle of the bands no vacancy, no vacancy. they have a song at the end of the movie called heal me i'm heartsick 
<laughs> and uh, spoiler alert, the guy who wrote the song was told to write a song in the style of Creed. Oh, God. I could, yeah, I can picture it. <laughs> Those are his words. That... I was told to write the song in the style of Creed. Well, and the guy that plays him, plays the singer of that band in the movie, is um, the dude from Rent. Adam Pascal, yeah. Pascal, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and he does well. I mean, I could, I could totally see him playing the, you know, singing in the Creed style. Now I'm picturing it. <laughs> so we've got some fun episodes coming up, but yeah, I love diving into like they got who to write to write that song. They got they got uh they put together a cover band of people from Radiohead to cover songs for this movie. Like there's some pretty wild things like that. Oh, Radiohead, I guess would be on my short list too. But I believe you have already done in Rainbows, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, that was a fun album. That was that was great. And I think for School of Rock, didn't Jack Black do like a, a video letter to Led Zeppelin in order to like get permission to use the immigrant song? Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, th- I think he did. Yeah, like just to, because they're so stingy with their music for yeah. movies, at least they used to be. Except when Marvel shows up with a blank check. <laughs> yeah, used to be. <laughs> we'll, we'll take Marvel money. Uh, I I did see Jack Black sing Immigrant Song. Oh, yeah? Uh, so, like, the Foo Fighters did, like, a Dave Grohl birthday show, like, I don't know, five or six years ago. And at one point, Jack Black comes out with Slash, and they played Immigrant Song. Oh, damn. That'd be cool. I would love to see that. Uh, I, <laughs> I could do a whole episode about that whole show. Well, I hope you at least mentioned that Jack Black's character needs to be in jail for a long, long time. In yes, reality. we did talk about okay. that. <laughs> as as a parent now, you watch that movie, you're like, what the hell, man? Well, he shouldn't have even gone into the classroom. Like, they never even checked ID. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, yeah, that, that's one of those that I love the movie. It's great, and I love Jack Black. But when you think about it in a reality filter, it's like, oh, you know, this guy needs to be put away for a long yes, time. Yes, we did bring that up. Okay, good. <laughs> still love the movie uh, yeah you still love the movie <laughs> well uh other than uh your podcast is there anything else you'd like to uh pitch or tell our listeners extras before we wrap this up i think i mean i'm i'm working on some stuff but not not to the point where i can announce anything fair enough but uh you know um i i hope to release some music at some point in the next oh excellent in the next 10 years or so. <laughs> i don't know I, you know uh, i i'm in a band with some dads so schedules are kind of hard to coordinate sometimes but um yeah i'll have i'll have music out at some point well from a a young child perspective i've been where you are and good luck my man thank you the, the sleepless nights do go away uh i cannot wait All right. Well, Ryan, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk to you about Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, it was really fun to talk about that and to kind of dig up the history of that album again. Absolutely. Thanks thanks for showing me another hidden gem that I didn't really know was there. Oh, just in time for the 11 LP Super Deluxe 20th Anniversary Edition to come out. If I get some sponsors, maybe I'll, I'll be able to buy that. You can, you can start a Patreon and have people pay for it. <laughs> Go fund me just to buy a special edition. Yeah, I was like, how many records? Oh, I can't afford that. Oh, time to listen to that. <laughs> also that. Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Future episodes are up on our Patreon, and you can always just buy us a coffee to help the show. As I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.